Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Luminous. And I'm Rico. And welcome to another episode of the Top Deck Time. This is episode 26. And this is going to be one on drafting omens of the past. But before we get into the main topic of the day, let's introduce my lovely co-host from Austria, the land of coffee. How are you <laughs> doing today? I'm doing great. I've had my fair share of coffee today and enjoyed a little bit of uh, ladder climbing downwards after the reset. <laughs> I managed to play, I think it was four hours and not gain any points, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> everyone else is uh, laddering hard. We're trying meme decks. Probably not the best time <laughs> to do so. But one topic that we are going to be very serious about is talking about drafting omens of the past. So draft's been out for, I want to say, close to two months now. And this format has been relatively different compared to set one simply because of the the way that the draft is structured. For those of you guys mm-hmm. don't uh, play draft very frequently, you go Omens of the Past, Pack, and then the Empty Throne, and then Omens, and then Empty Throne. So set two, set one, set two, set one. And that means you are seeing the the new kind of multi-faction faction combinations first, and then you're kind of reacting with the original set one packs. So mm-hmm. this will kind of change draft a little bit, What's your kind of overall generalized take on, on something like this? What, what's important is that Omens is a smaller set um, by far than the, the Empty Throne. So some of the commons you see more frequently. Uh, what that means is when you look at, uh, for example, Strangers and Banners, there will be there, there just will be more Banners and Strangers than there were previously, just because you get almost twice as many of them during your Omens packs. So that, that makes splashing a little bit easier. Um, the other thing is that you're still getting past the pack one and three by the same person and pack two and four by the same person. So maybe you can like read a little, like the reading becomes a little bit harder just because like you might be seeing a lot of Comrade um, cards, but they might still be taking the justice cards just because they went like Archon part in the first pack. So the reading becomes a little bit harder on the like empty throne packs. But on the other hand, yeah, it means that you can, get heavily rewarded in the in the thrones packs if you are if you happen to pick up a few of mono faction cards in the first pack and then you can go into the less frequently drafted faction pairs in empty thrones moving away from the draft when it comes to the actual play because there are so many cards available be- between set one and set two and because everybody's playing random strangers and banners that playing around tricks at least for myself become much more difficult I used to pride myself, at least during the set one draft day, if they're showing X amount of power, I could quickly recite off the the number of tricks that are available to those factions. Mm-hmm. And now there's just there's just way too many. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of tricks got up by about 50% as well, yeah. Personally, that has been a little bit more difficult for me to prepare for. But today, the main focus is going to be the faction breakdown. We're going to go talk about the five different factions talk about strength and weaknesses of those factions. First, what is the factions trying to do? Second, what are the most important cards for the faction? And finally, third, what are some role player cards that are perhaps better with that faction and not so good with the other factions? This is going to be mostly Rico and myself, uh, our opinions, and that will differ from other popular streamers or autogirl writers. If you're serious about draft, we do advise you to check out various places. For example, Eternal Warcry, has written a couple of draft articles, one by Gaonan. You could check out Jank Junction. I found those extremely helpful. Of course, streamers. You could check out Teriyaki Boy, which is predominantly a draft streamer 
Serino and Manuel Maus. Yeah. Yeah. Serino as well. Big, big streamers that you could learn a lot from. What we really commonly see for the drafting archetype is that there are a ton of master drafters that have various different opinions when it comes to what are some of the best cards, what are the best factions. So this is going to be our opinion. I advise you to check out other opinions if you want to get a, a deep perspective about draft. So that is all the disclaimer out of the way. <laughs> we got five factions here. Which one would you like to start with? And we'll just dive into that one. Let's just start with Praxis. Praxis is often considered as the best faction combination, at least out of the set two factions. What is the deck trying to do? I think it really depends because in my opinion, there are like two different ways you can go with Praxis. And I think one of the strengths of Praxis is that both of those archetypes overlap in the cards that they want. So you can kind of stay open. And what I'm talking about is like the big Praxis, quote unquote, that utilizes or leans more on on the time cards and also on the time cards of like the empty throne to it plays similarly to the elision and combre decks that we discussed in our previous draft episode where they just basically try to create a board stall and then just win with the bigger units that just go more stat heavy than than your opponent and the other option you have is to draft a very aggressive small units kind of deck when you say playing like more of a small, aggressive kind of unit deck, do you mm-hmm. mean go wide? Because that is one of the sub theme of Praxis. You do see cards like Noble Firemate, Talia's Chess, yeah, which is not very good. Combined, of course, with a set one rally and General Exalio and things like that. So, do you mean go wide with Praxis, or do you just mean like kind of low curve, aggressive, backed up by various tricks and and removal spells? Well, those go kind of hand in hand. If you are able to curve out. A little bit better than the cards like Rally and Noble Firemane. They just have more value as well. You don't necessarily have to have a lot of cards that create multiple units if you can curve out. What are some of the most important cards? What, what cards do you see out of the pack one and be like, okay, I kind of want to be in Praxis now? For pack one, uh, depending on what archetype you're in, if you're in the more aggressive one, I I think the Pummel is an excellent trick, for example. Blink Wolf is great. Audacious Bandit helps you very much if you're on the aggressive side. And then if you want to uh, build the Praxis deck that tries to win by stats alone, Cannon Barrier is great. Uh, 6 power 5, 6 is very good rate, and you can sometimes get rid of a flyer or uh, use it as a post-combat trick. Uh, Thunder of Warrior is fine. I'm not ashamed of playing Gun Down or two. I think Gundown might actually compete as one of the best fire-only common, at least coming out from set 2. It feels like it's doing enough damage that could kill pretty much anything in the format, unless mm-hmm. they're, you know, giant, like being hugely buffed up by a weapon or something like that. So I think the fire faction is extremely deep, and time is often considered as the best faction if you look at yep. kind of pack 1 and pack 2 combined. And, you know, they also have early game defense. Sam Viper comes to mind as just a good two-drop that can become relevant in the late game. And of course, you talked about the Time Fatty. The set two has added Striped Arachnidon. And of course, mm-hmm. the set one Dinosaurs is, is all there. If you're drafting time, it, it's hard to get away from the topic of Warp. So let's actually talk about Warp as a mechanic, because there are some Master Drafters that swear by Warp. Pretty mm-hmm. much saying almost every single Warp card is playable. I mean, you already mentioned Blink Wolf as well as Cannon Bear. They both have warp, and they're both really good in these decks. And they're just common, like you mentioned. And of course, set two commons you see more frequently. So you're likely to pick up more Blink Wolf 
than let's say a set one common. So yeah, yeah. how do how do you feel about warp overall, and do you feel like it's as broken as some of the other drafters are suggesting it to be? Warp is definitely a huge part of the slower Praxis deck because it just creates so much card advantage if the game goes longer. So if you're able to stall or slow down the game a little bit, you can really take over by by just card advantage, pure card advantage via the warp cards. And there's actually a couple of them that you're pretty excited to play. I like pretty much everyone. I, I'm not a, as fond of the Apothecary, I think the name is. The the four power three, three no, the camp physician. Yep. Four power two two warp gain three health. I'm not super fond of this one, but like all of the other ones are pretty good. And if you are able like the more warp cuts you have, the more likely you are to warp at least one of them. At which point they're all great. Yeah, Journeyman Armor in particular is one of mm-hmm. the best ones to if you are able to warp in, it's a free essentially 3-3 that comes off the top of your library, distributing the yep. stats. Pretty amazing combined with flyers. And mm-hmm. I'm surprised that it only took us 11 minutes to get to the term flyers. <laughs> because if you guys haven't listened to our set one draft talk, it's pretty much the same thing here. Flyers win game. And in particular for Praxis, we are playing that time sub theme of stalling the ground, right? We have six flies. Yeah. They have six fives. Nobody have really good attack. And it really comes down to who has the best flyer. And guess what? Time does have one of the best flyer, which is the Archive Curator. I believe that's the name of it. It's the 1-4 for 4 in time that gives you a silence effect. And it has flying. So, I mean, by itself, it won't really beat anybody down. But you are just one katana away or one random weapon away to make this a really big threat. And of course, if it's a 1-4, it kind of blocks and, and kind of slow down the air very well. Like, if you like Tower Top Patrol, I think Archive Corrector is, like, easily one of the best commons. The silence is very valuable because basically it gets rid of a flyer. If you have, like, a couple of good ground blockers, silencing a flyer is almost as good as destroying it. Yep. Back to Tournament Armor, I think this is one of the big payoff cards for being Praxis because Purify is the other common that you would like of the faction pair, but Purify is easily splashable, so other players will take your Purifiers also. But you can sometimes see very late armors just because people aren't in the faction and they can't or don't really want to splash for the card. I think everybody in day one has identified that Purify is a very strong draft effect, but yes. how would you personally rate the armorer? It seems like you hold that card in very high regard, maybe even next to Purify? It's it's certainly no purify, but uh, it's you can get it much later, which makes it good because like if like a first pick purify is good, but it's it's comparable to uh, like six pick armor. Like I'm super excited about picking those up later in the pack, and they go much later. So, in your opinion, when you do see that six pick armor, it's perhaps a very strong signal that warp or rather praxis is pretty open, and it might be time to move in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you have to obviously also look out for the monofaction cards because while Praxis may be open, the person passing to you might still be like fire or time. Sure. You can be unlucky and like the person that passed to you is fire and the person that passed to them is time, but you still see a journeyman armory, so you might get trapped. But I do think that if you like, if you have the option of taking it, if you if it aligns with your first few picks, it's a great sign to move in. What are some role player cards that will work really well for Praxis and perhaps better for this deck compared to the other decks? I think the main one, if you're 
and Praxis is probably Cloud of Ash because okay. most of the other decks aren't as interested in the card, but for Praxis, it's one of the better ways to finish a game if you're aggressive or break the stall if you're not. So that makes it for me a, a card that is super interesting for Praxis, but not very much for others. The problem is it's an uncommon and you only get to see two packs of Empty right. Throne. But yeah, I think that that's, that's one of the cards that probably the other decks aren't as interested in as you are. Um, there aren't a lot of other cards, obviously, like Rally and the Granite Ring are more interesting for you than they are for other people. And there are drafts, they are not super common, but uh, where you can pick up a super late pack hunt because people are really not interested in taking that card and it might just be a good card for you. Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought up the card pack hunt as well as Granite Ring because I, I do feel like they're both somewhat undervalued. I mean, Pack Hunt is not an amazing card, but it's like you mentioned, you're most likely going to be able to pick up a copy relatively late. It's a common mm. from, from set two. So if you want it, you could actually have a copy. And Grindout mm. Ring, I think in particular, giving your big giant units overwhelm makes it super easy for you to punch through that last couple points of damage. I also yeah. want to give a shout out to Sandstorm as a, as a card. I mean, we, we talked about the importance of Flyer and honestly... Time Fire doesn't exactly have the best flyers. So sometimes mm-hmm. you are going to be in a couple of drafts where you, you do have one or two flyers because you should prioritize drafting them, but you don't nearly have enough to keep the sky on lockdown. And they never play around Sandstorm. Sandstorm is an uncommon, and it just gets them every single time. So <laughs> definitely a big fan of Doo-Doo-Doo, at least personally for myself. problem I have with the card is that it really only works on defense. Sure. And only if you're getting beat down with flyers and only if you then have blockers. So there are scenarios where it's just a total blowout, but there are also a lot of scenarios where it isn't really great. And just just like drawing hard for two power is very inefficient. I mean, when you're losing, you're generally losing to flyers or it's, it's a solution that's harder to, to find compared to, let's say, getting a, a ground guy to block, right? So I, I, do, I do believe that it covers your worst case scenario, which is mm-hmm. losing to flyers. And like you mentioned, even though it's not the most efficient way to draw a card, well, if the situation doesn't call for it, feel free to give it that sandstorm and exchange for a fresh card. Oh, uh, one one other card that is probably better in the bigger Praxis deck than it's in other decks is actually Teleport. Yeah. Um, because if you are if you're playing a lot of dinosaurs and you are starting to force your opponent to take double blocks, you can really punish them pretty hard. I believe we mentioned teleport when we talked about lesion as well, which is mm-hmm. essentially the same game plan, right? You have like pretty much big dinosaurs. A lesion have more flyers because they have access to primal, but in terms of the ground game, you know, having teleport to back up your six five, or in this case, the plated seven five warp overwhelm guy. Ooh, baby, you could mm-hmm. teleport and then blow some people out on 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 combat. So that's very good. Yep. All right, that will be all when it comes to praxis. What is the next faction that you'd like to get to? Um, let's do Hurv. Let's quickly dive into Mentor. First of all, a lot of people use this Mentor wrong. Like Sometimes they would take the Temple loss when you do Mentor somebody when you don't need to take the Temple loss. And oftentimes, they, they feel I feel like they're trying to force Mentor too much. And then your deck just comes out A, relying on too much synergy, and B, not knowing when to be attacking and when to be mentoring. So I, I found mentor-centric drafts to be really, really weak overall. I find that the best Huru decks are the ones that are taking advantage of your flying and your combat tricks 
and just try to be an evasive killing deck. I agree with that. I think that mentor doesn't necessarily become better the more mentors uh, mentor student cards you have. I think most of the mentor cards um, that I'm interested in playing are just good on their own. Like Sparring Partner is just good on its own. Dragon Breath is a very good card. Roosting Owl can be fine. Skywalk Instructor is good. Bellshade Architect is fine. Like those, those are just cards. I, I don't mind just playing one of them or I, I mean, I'll take more, but like it's not like they are getting better in multiples. So what are some of the kind of the pull-in for Huru? What, what cards do you see pick three, pick four, be like, okay, I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to try to be in Huru. I, I'm drafting Huru very much when Justice is open because I think the Justice is the best faction for Omens just because it has a lot of commons that I'm really happy to have. It, like Oathkeeper is common. Strength of Many is common. Sparring Partner is not, uh, common. Talion of Nostrix. I really think that those are just really, really strong draft cards and then there's also like the sentry that's a 3-3 and when you when he becomes a student he gets plus one plus one and i think it's just fine playing on its own it's a three power three three but if you do happen to have some amount of mentor cards he becomes pretty good i think and then there's roosting owl and roosting owl i think is a pretty good card as well a flying unit which is always great and it does give you a very good late game Mostly, I'm I'm drawn into Huru because uh, just because of how strong Justice is in the in the Omen specs. Yeah, I think you really hit the point uh, when you kind of discuss the mentor cards. We're playing the mentor cards and student cards because they are good on their own, not because of the synergy. Like the Roosting Owl mm-hmm. and and the three three are great examples of that. I, I see a lot of people try to force Crown Watch Squire. This is the one two in Justice. And it reads ultimate when Crown Watch Squire is a student, he gets plus two plus two. Obviously, the dream of it, you know, you, you go Crown Watch Squire into the the two two that mentors sparring partner, right? Sparring partner, and you get what like a like a four, four or five, five. On, on turn two, which is insane when you pull it off. But it's not going to happen too often. The, the Squire <laughs> on its own is just not really a good card at all, right? Yeah. The the mentor dream doesn't really come together that often. I'm glad you also brought up strength of the many. Just a two-two flyer getting in, and you have a like two to three units, or sometimes even more. That that strength for the many is oftentimes the last spell cast in the game because you are just gonna kill them. Yeah, I think strength of the many is insane. Like oathkeeper and strength of the many are both just super, super, super good. I pick them very, very high, and I, I I feel like people are undervaluating them still. My praise of oathkeeper. The amount of attacks this card enables that you wouldn't have been able to make without the card in every single game are pretty high. Like I feel like I can get in like three to four attacks that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to make without yeah. the Oathkeeper. That is just worth so much just because you get to either, well, deal them damage, which is how you win games, or you can trade two or three drops for the four drops, which is a very good tempo play and which also just helps you get better board control in a faction that doesn't have a ton of removal. And also it's just great when you're racing with flyers. So it might not seem like like a lot, like getting plus one plus one in the end of turn and like the one one body is super weak. But just what it does to a game, like I'm, I'm, I'm amazed every time I see an Oathkeeper in play and uh, like I hate it when one is played against me. And Strength of Many is so good. Like it's basically a removal spell and it can just finish games that you have no business winning. Like when there's a bot stall, all you need is one unit to go through and it will deal like eight or nine damage. Right. 
So kind of to pull back the Justice fanboy a bit and go back to Huru. I, I do believe there's a lot of power cards, at least in the uncommons in Huru. For example, Eileen's Choice is just an absolute bomb. Well, not a bomb. That's kind of overrating a bit. But I feel like that's a very powerful effect. When I see a third pick Eileen's Choice, that kind of draws me in. Of course, Eileen's Choice is quite splashable, but being able to yeah. always be able to cast it is quite nice. And Duelist Blade, every time I draw this card and cast it, mm-hmm. my reaction is, oh baby, because it's good every single time. The Aegis is actually surprisingly relevant as well, just making sure that you don't get any shenanigans like Torched or some random fire spell knocking off the rest of your weapon. So it always feels like you're getting two for one. Absolutely. Um, but you're right, like the common multi-faction rule cards, they don't, necessar- and they don't necessarily draw me in. But like the main strength of Huru, I feel, is that the faction pair has probably the most flyers, which is yes. pretty pretty cool. And also, you have more removal than you previously had, just because Dragon Breath is a common and it's just really, really good. I think of it as like the Predator's Instinct, but better, just because they don't deal the damage back. And sometimes you have a random student-mentor synergy going on for you so plus like you get to have like 50 percent more finest hour because uh strength many is a good proxy for that and with the amount of flyers you get in huru it's it's pretty feasible to draft a decently aggressive deck in huru you don't have to really figure out how you close games just because most of or, or a lot of the cards help you do that in being flyers or combat tricks whereas in other factions when i'm when i don't draft Huru, I always have to keep in mind, so, okay, I have a couple of good cards, maybe I can generate a little bit advantage or I have good drops, but how do I actually finish the game? In Huru, I don't have to do that. That's that's something I really like about that pair. So Huru also has a sub-theme of stun. I'm sure everybody has dreamed of the curve of Fencing Master into Gerald's Froskin, and you just get him. But it's a trap. It's It's... I mean... It's very strong when yeah, you get those really lines. <laughs> but Fencing Master is an uncommon. And also, the set one payoff for stun, which is the, the Yeti, the O3 Yeti that just straight up kill a stun guy, that's also an uncommon. So, mm. if the stars and moons align and you get all of those uncommons, I mean, you know, you could always pick up a couple of shield bashes and go to town, but I would not uh, put my money on that strategy come, pulling off. No, so, I don't think this will come up very yeah. often. I mean, that happened against me once in a draft. I hmm. was, <laughs> I definitely got blown out. But <laughs> all right, what are what are some of the cards that will help Huru a little bit more than it'll help the other factions? Um, so that's one of the problems of Huru. I feel like because they don't really have a card that they want and nobody else does. Because the cards Huru wants are like efficient combat tricks, uh, the removal and flying units, and every draft deck wants those cards like who happens to be in a good faction pair to get a lot of those but it's also in a faction pair that the other players can kind of like take advantage of yeah and with there's so much splashing in this kind of draft format it's very easy for somebody to come in and just take your Eileen's choice or somebody mm. to come in and and well they probably won't splash a like strength of the many but if they're in justice they'll be fighting over it as well so Mm-hmm. I, I think that is the reason why we don't see that commonly strong Huru decks because it is being jacked from all angles. Like I haven't had as bad of an experience with Huru than I, I feel that you did. I, I generally have been pretty happy when I ended up in Huru. 
Okay. Who is by far my my least favorite archetype of draft? Oh, no, 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 no. Even no. more than Xenon. Yeah, and, let's uh, talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about Xenon. Okay, so I made, I made notes, and next to Xenon, I just have a don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's quickly talk about Xenon and talk about, obviously, its, its mechanic, the life force. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why don't you quickly underlie what is life force and perhaps why it's terrible? Um, so in life force deck, you need a good balance of like enablers and cards that profit from those enablers, uh, like cards that gain life and cards with life force. And the problem is that you do have some cards in set one that gain your life. Like, um, for example, and that's one of the advantages uh, that nobody else pretty much wants them. The one to a sanctuary priest, sanctuary nobody priest. wants sanctuary priest, and it's actually yeah. amazing if you end up with a lot of life force cards. Um, refresh is decent and not very much fought over. There's the possibility, and I've certainly lost to that combination of going Xenon with Primal, and then you get the uh, Amaran Camel, and oh those are <laughs> those are those are really good if you happen to have a lot of life force cards. Right. So there's a lot of enablers in set one actually, and enablers that you're more likely to get just because other people aren't as interested in. The problem is that there aren't so many payoff cards, and you only get to see two packs of them. Yep. And like I, I think the bigger payoff cards are obviously the the two three drops, and, and I'm talking mostly about the commons, right? Because those are the ones you get to see more often. Sure. You basically get the the Ameren, the 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 three power two two that gains plus one plus one every time you gain life, and you have the three power one three that gains attack equal to the amount of life you gain, and you have to an extent Umbrin Thurster, which is the five power two four that gains flying and plus one attack whenever you gain life, but you only have two two sets of omens and you don't get as many of those. And if you get those without the enabler, they are pretty awkward. And if you get enablers without those, you're not really winning the game also. So I yep. feel like Sedan is a deck that, like when it comes together, it's, it can be very, very strong. I've just had trouble piecing it all together, to be honest. Yeah, I think this is the exact same issue with a mentor slash student. You're trying to go for a synergistic combo but a lot of your pieces are very weak individually and one of the one of the oldest lessons of playing ccgs and and drafting is that you don't want to play two bad cards to supposedly have a good synergy and that's kind of what xenon is trying to do you mentioned three power two two it could get bigger you mentioned a three power one three it could get bigger but what if you don't draw the other half then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're just not in good shape and and the problem with xenon as opposed to guru is if you don't draft a life first deck, like the the commons actually aren't any good for you, to be honest. The the problem is that Shadow in particular has very very few playable un- uh, commons in Omens. Like only Extract is really good, and right. like the next best card is the two one. What's it called? The the Longshot Marksman. Right. Uh, the yeah, the two power two one quick draw, and that's while that's an okay two drop, like you, you mostly don't have as much of a problem filling out your two drop because there's so many strangers going around. Like this is not doing anything that isn't replaceable, and then all the other shadow counts are just not good. Yeah, and and that's a that's that's a problem. Like like why are you 
um, playing shadow then if why are you why aren't you why aren't you pairing your time deck with like fire <laughs> or i don't know like try to go into combo or illusion like I, there's not really a draw for me and the multi-faction cards aren't great either like the only uh, like the only three common multi-faction cards are like the blood call invocation which is terrible even if you're in life force the scene and augury which is not good unless you're in life force and then it's still sketchy and the scene and cup bearer which is actually I think very good, but like that's surprisingly the, been very annoying when I see on the other yeah, side of the table. But but it's not enough to like draw me into this. You can, however, um end up in a time deck that gets a lot of shadow removal just because I feel like the sh- uh, shadow isn't really as sought after. So you you can kind of get laid on commons, which you are less likely to get in other faction pairs. Yeah, let's not forget that set two has the payoff of Death Strike. Suffocate, Annihilate, these are some premium removals that if you're able to stick it through in pack one, you might... I mean, generally I don't start the draft and be like, I want to be Xenon. But, mm. you know, in pack two I pick up so many like high-value shadow removal that I'm like, okay, well, I'm rewarded, I guess, for picking up yeah. so much shadow removal. But No, absolutely. Tra- I mean, if, if those factions are open, definitely go for it. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever draft seen and I'm just if there's a faction pair to be open I'm less I'm least excited about it being seen in. I'd much rather like draft Skycrack or Huru when it's open than I would draft right. seen when it's open but like a seen deck when it's open is still better than like you trying to force something else I think drafting Xenon, I, I remember something that you said back in when we talked about Combray, when we talked about drafting Empty Thrones, is that when you draft Combray, you better have some win conditions in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think this is extremely true for drafting Xenon. Especially if you're, if you're trying to do the synergy of Life Force, the times that it's been successful for me, it's when I have Katra, which is <laughs> by far the best you know Life Force payoff. Mm. And for the sure. The three five name Blood Call Invoker, yeah. which Blood Call Invoker is actually insanely good for creating a boar stall, and you're not essentially winning the game, but you're just like either you just have a boar full of units, which is not actually very uncommon because one of the the thing that Life Force is really good at is making Blood Call Invoker tokens as well as the, the common uh, six power five five that makes the one one wisp uh, Voyaging Lumen. Yep. So they're very good at going wide. And then we already mm-hmm. mentioned Pack Hunt as a way to finish the game. So, you know, Pack Hunts you, you could easily pick up. So when I when I went for that deck, uh, that was actually surprisingly very efficient for me. They're also going long because they have the uncommon Shadowlands Bone P- uh, Picker, which is the 3-power, mm-hmm. 3-3 three three, three dinosaur that you could pay 5 and give it plus 2, plus 1. You could do it over and over again. Some of the best payoff in uncommons, the Blister Sting Wasp. Oh boy, that thing just blocks everything, so... I mean, there there are some very powerful cards, but it's not a faction combination where like, okay, that's a good common, I'll pick it up. That's a good common, I'll pick it up. Let me pair the two together. You really need to open up some really strong rares, uncommons, to make you want to be in Xenon. Yep, I agree. And you you do, as opposed to who really have to keep an eye open on how you will win that game. Because yep. Xenon has even less flyers than Combray does. Um, so you really want to... like. Keep an eye out for those finishes. Coming up next, we've got Arjunport. Arjunport, the the faction of Minotaurs, the weapons matter theme is very, very strong here. And is that what Arjunport is about? You you draft um, guys, you draft some weapons, and you go to town? I never really had a 
strong weapon sub theme so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that that's very important like i i don't really value auric bully for example very highly okay. uh, it's for me it's a two drop that's very replaceable what's going for archambar is that as i said justice is just very strong so <laughs> that's that's just when i i move an archambar when i see a lot of justice cards as well but i don't see any any primal and sometimes shadow is open and you get a couple of extracts or you get at least decent shadow cards. And for me, Archimport is like that the plan is very similar to Huru Flyers. The one great card you get in Archimport that is multifaction that goes very late is the Valkyrie Denouncer, the 3-3 yep. Flying Revenge, which is an excellent way to finish a game. And you do get all the payoff for being shadow in the in a lot of removal. Like Archimport has a ton of removal, especially at Uncommon, which usually doesn't matter as much, but just because there's so much removal in common in those two factions, it starts to matter again. Yeah, I do see it late as well, but I, I feel like people are undervaluing the card. I mean, it's a three power, or yeah, it's a five power three three flyer, right? And with revenge. Mm-hmm. So as the game goes long, and generally most origin port games do go quite long because both players are trading so much because of your removal spell. Also, don't forget about the uncommon streetwise informant. It's as a card that is really a big workhorse. I know you don't really personally mm-hmm. focus too much on on weapons, but in, in some of the my my most successful decks, it's just about slapping a weapon on Streetwise Informant and just watching them find solutions or at least trying to find solutions, and then eventually succumbing to the power. That is my endurance unblockable guy. That is attacking and blocking and gaining the armor. Which yeah, is it's insanely good insane. racing. Yeah. I don't really think that that people are like undervaluing Valkyrie Denouncer. It's just the fact that there's not really much drawing you into shadow when you're uh-huh. drafting. Uh, so maybe like uh, people are picking like non-shadow cards for the couple of first picks, and then taking a Valkyrie Denouncer becomes more of a stretch. Everybody that sees that card and that had played a couple of drafts will will know that it's just a good card. It's just a flyer that gets back, and it's it's decently sized. It's obviously good and limited, but it's more the fact that people aren't drawn into Shadow as much. It seems like to you that, again, very similar to drafting Huru, you're going to start off with strong Justice cards, and then you're going to see a signal, let's say a let's say a 4 for 5 pick Streetwise Informant, or a, or a late Valkyrie Denouncer, and you're like, okay, well, it's kind of open. Or maybe you see an early Slay, and that, that kind of gets you in, in the foot, uh, into the, the Argent Port. And that's kind of where you start to go in, or that's it... that's the one option. And the other option is if you open with a not so strong pack that has an extract, because Justice is the deepest faction and Shadow is the most shallow one. So it it does kind of like if I if I pick a extract first and then I have the choice between a Justice and a card of a other faction that are about the same power level, I'd much rather take the Justice one just to get it, to be able to get enough playables. Now, what are some cards that are much better for Arjun Port compared to other factions? I can't think of many. Like, I think that, the, for example, the Blackguard Sidearm is one that is stronger in Arjun Port than it is in others. Mm-hmm. But it's also good if you're in, in Fen, for example. I don't know. I, I don't feel like there's a lot of cards that you want that others don't. Because in Arjun Port, again, you're looking for removal, you're looking for flies, you're looking for good weapons and there's there's not or and combat tricks so there's not much that you want that others don't there's not really a special uh a special uh, archetype that 
dead ones cards that other stone. I feel like just efficient units, efficient spells. One card in particular has done quite surprisingly good amount of work for me. A okay. Scepter of Nobility. I know you're not big on hmm. kind of forcing weapon themes, but sometimes you do yeah, manage to pick it up. And Scepter of Nobility mm-hmm. is essentially a three power, three, three relic weapon that you can make some very strong tempo play with this. Also, Minotaur Duelist. I guess pretty much every Justice deck wouldn't mind a Minotaur Duelist, but this is the essentially the Justice Gerald's Frostkin, which we were a big fan of when we talked about drafting the Empty Throne. And this one comes with Revenge. It is one power higher, but it's uh, definitely it, it helps you to push through late game damage, especially when you're essentially building a big battle cruiser and trying to go in. Absolutely, I just feel like uh, with the with the card, like other other Justice decks are interested in that also. Yeah, yeah. But the set of nobility is a little bit better in Archimborde than it is in other decks, that's true. Yep. Just because you get more weapons. Okay, sorry, I got one more. Uh, Valkyrie Militant, okay. for me, has been a lot better in Archimborde, which is a 4-power 2-2 flyer Valkyrie. When you play a weapon, you get plus 1 armor. And Relic Weapon, you know, the the Nostrix, the 2-power two, two 2-2 two, two Relic Weapon, I talked about mm-hmm. Scepter Nobility... It's mm-hmm. fairly common. I mean, you want the Valkyrie Militant anyways. This is a 4-power 2-2 flyer. I think that's right. kind of playable. And there are some games where you just kind of get them. But that's the thing, right? Those are all mono-justice. True, true. I agree. that That's a that that's a really nice sub-theme. And I also feel like like I had a deck once where I had a couple of Talon of Nostrix and the card is amazing. I love it. And I picked up uh, an Emerald Acolyte in set 1 and I never, ever played that card um, <laughs> with only set one draft but it it has been amazing like having a five armor talent of nostrix by turn three like you're trading two two three for one yeah if people are wondering why we're so big on talent of nostrix there are so many strangers running around stranger is by far the most common two drop and having a relic weapon that could essentially kill a stranger or in the case where you say a two five relic weapon that's pretty damn good yeah i mean i'm more hot on the talent just because it can Get rid of a lot of the flying units that are even more uh, that are more expensive than it. And sure. if you walk around it once, it's beastly. It's also it's it's just a good tempo play uh, a lot of the times. And uh, if you're in an aggressive uh, justice deck, I'm totally happy like playing this on play turn two and hit my opponent for two, and then will it will trade for the next creature they play. We got our final multi-faction combination. It's gonna be Skycrack, Primal, and yes. Fire. So this one is, I believe, a very aggressive combination. And you're trying mm-hmm. to attack in, and you're trying to activate Spark, which is essentially extra bonuses when you do activate Spark. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Spark mechanic, some of the key cards in that mechanic. Do you think Skycrag is a strong combination? Yeah, I enjoy Skycrag a lot, to be honest. It's one of the better ways to punish greedy people. Like it's it's one of the best decks to punish a three or four faction deck, just because of um, how good it plays offense. The problem, of course, being that it's, that a lot of the cards are rather bad when you're on defense. I think this also has some of the issue that let's say Huru has because a lot of the great cards individually are cards that if somebody is drafting let's say Fire and Time, they wouldn't mind picking up Blink Wolf or Audacious Bandit. Like those are just good cards that they will try to pick up. Or let's say Rebel Sharpshooter from pack one. And then Justice Player will probably pick up Yolton Hurler if they could cast it. 
the primal player. Yolt and Cyclops, rather. Yeah, the primal player. Mm. Skyrider Vanguard. That's another really, really good payoff card for a spark. And yeah, primal player will just pick it up. So I, I think you do have some issues coming with that. But I do feel that fire and primal are perhaps the second and third deepest color after time in both set, mm. uh, pack one and pack two combined. That you ha- you should have a ton of options picking up a very decent Skycrack deck. Yeah, so like Primal was the deepest color I feel like in in the Empty Throne, and mm-hmm. but Fire was the the most shallow one, right? But surprisingly, Fire has a lot of really decent commons in in Omens. Or I, I don't know if it's surprising, but like compared to Set One, it has way more playable commons, and Primal has a few decent ones as well that we already talked about. Oh no, actually we didn't mention Storm Call uh, Stormcrafter. What's the owl called? Stormcrasher. Stormcrasher, which is an amazing card in draft. A three-power evasion unit that just trumps most other flyers late game. Whew, that card is good. I really like picking those up early. That's really a card that draws me into Skycrack Uhuru. You personally rate it extremely high. I, 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 I do. Think, I think I'm not as high on the card, but I could definitely see where you come from. It's one of those threats when it's on the other side of the table. I'm like, okay, it's just a 2-2 flyer. I'll deal with it later. And then... Turn five, six comes along. It's like, okay, I need to deal with it now. <laughs> I'm going to just die to this thing. So it does definitely have a little bit of clock on your head. Yeah, plus, like in Praxis, it's it's especially good because even though Spark it's only 2-2, two, two, it, it activates Spark pretty right, right. reliably. And then when it gets to a point where, like most of the Skycrack games I played, um, where like I was able to be on the aggressive early on and then my opponent starts to stabilize. And at that point... Um, I can mostly afford to take a turn off, quote unquote, to ultimate this guy. And at that point, it's probably the largest fly on the board. Yeah. I think the really crazy thing about Skycrack is how quickly they could be on the offensive and how quickly they could kill you. I mean, Clan Hero Mm. essentially reads a three power five three. I mean, if your deck is doing what it's supposed to do, I mean, three power five three, that is, oh, take me back to the day of Champion of Chaos. That is. Constructive nightmare. Now, Clan Hero is nowhere near as strong as that, but three power, five three just trades up with most four and five drops, and it's completely yep. like really scary. You, you take a hit or two from this guy, you're probably dying. The flyers are gonna finish, and if the flyers don't finish, another gray sky crack common, which is mortar. I mean, it's not it's not infeasible to pick up at least one or two of these because it's common. Now. I think a lot of decks are very happy to grab mortars to as a splash. Mm-hmm. So it is one of the more Yeah, mortar mortar is harder to come by just because it's interesting for a lot of decks and it's easy to splash. But Clan Hero is a card that no other deck is interested in right. and it is so so strong. And there's also Audacious Bandit, which when you're on the offensive or rather on from the other perspective, if you're on the defensive already and they drop a four power quick draw unit, you're in trouble. Yep. And Skycrack actually has a lot of tricks. Pummel and Rampage are excellent combat tricks. And then there's a lot of cards that deal damage in Primal and in Fire. I feel like Skycrack is the deck that can give the opponent the most like headaches when, when it comes to blocking. And also, when you play an Audacious Bandit or a Clan Hero, they start like dropping cards that can block them. Skycrack has the Cobalt Acolyte and the 5 power 3 to the Skyward Instructor that mentors and gives a unit flying. So it actually has a lot of reach uh, combined with like a couple of burn spells. Yeah. It also has a lot of ways to generate snowball, which in combination mm. with all of these quick draw, you're like, well, 
do I want to block or do I not block? It's it makes things certainly very very awkward. It also is the faction that can actually produce the most amount of actual snowballs. That that's okay, what. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually getting to uh, a, a very strong common that you were mentioning for Huru, which is Dragon Breath. Now, I personally has found Dragon Breath to be fairly mediocre in Skycrack because so much of your deck is trying to be aggressive that whenever I feel like if I need to take the turn off to Dragon Breath a big threat, I lose a lot of my snowball, as it were. I actually don't agree because um, okay. you can use Dragon Breath to kill most... Uh, like, it's very easy to kill flying units with Dragon Breath just because they usually have less stats. And you can easily race in the air with the faction combination. And the other thing is that you have a couple of overwhelm units from Fire and Primal that you can use Dragon Breath to deal extra damage with and okay. actually win a game through a board stall. And you get a lot of units in Fire, especially that have very, or that have way higher attack than they have defense, which is good for Dragon Breath also. Okay, I guess the card has just not performed too well for, for me personally, but. I guess you are still swearing by the card. <laughs> a couple of set one cards, which were like fairly mediocre or unplayable, their stock really risen very highly. And I'm talking about the 1-2 Hatchling for one in Primal. Uh, that's actually in set two. Oh, they moved it to that's set two? actually in Omens. Yeah, yeah, that's in Omens. Okay. And, it's, and it's very good in Skycrack and not good in Buru. So exactly. that's one of, the, one of the cards. And the other one is the 1-3 Flyer. Right, for two. And the fact that these guys just activate Clan Hero... Like a boss, it's such a big deal. Also, I, I kind of mentioned Skyrider Vanguard already, but suddenly they become very big threats once you even get that one buff of the yep. Skyrider Vanguard. Huru to me is probably the most fun faction I had drafting. It's a... Skycrack? Yeah, sorry, sorry, Skycrack. <laughs> you're pressing A every turn, and it's just a great feeling. Games are like five to six turns. You feel like you're playing some sort of constructive, aggressive deck, but you're not. You know, it's just draft cards. At least when it works. When it doesn't work, it's just like, <laughs> oh my goodness, get me out. If you end up having a lot of those small flyers, um, one of the problems, of course, is that they get outclassed easily. Like a one-drop is going to get outclassed very fast. But you can take advantage of the fire cards we talked about when we talked about the uh, Praxis Go White deck. Like Rally and, and Ring are both pretty good if you have a lot of small flyers. Mm -hmm. Before we finish this whole drafting discussion, I think it will be remiss if we don't talk about splashing overall. Now, we, we keep mentioning taking Stranger as one of the big things that most people would do. Strangers, you could just have them as fill the true drops, but more importantly, they help you splash some very, very key removal and whatnot. Do you believe in splashing? And if so, what are some tips and tricks that people that are trying to splash should definitely keep in mind? I absolutely do. I value banners and Strangers very highly. It's actually more common that I end up three faction or uh, two with a splash or a straight three faction, which doesn't happen as often. Then it is that I uh, play a clean two faction deck, just because I feel like splashing is so easy when there's so many strangers and banners going around. Um, so my rule of thumb is if I want to splash one card, um, I'm happy with three sources of that influence. And when I splash two, I'm happy if I have five, if you know what I mean. So um, yeah. that I can reliably cast them when I draw them. It's actually really feasible to get those for free. I'm, I'm not super happy if I then have to play like three fire sigils. I would 
not recommend that. Like if I'm splashing two fire cards, I and I would have to play three fire sigils, I just wouldn't do it just because it would hurt my other cards more. And I would try to then like cut back a fire card and two fire sigils, even though that would mean I play only one of my two mortars. But I think it's so easy with all the strangers and banners to get like two or three of affection. And also they like the strangers are just fine units. I am not unhappy like having my two drops being strangers just because like all the other two drops aren't really that much better than a two two. Think of it this way when you like end up with four strangers, it's you're playing eight additional sources. It's you can um you can so easily have like a better power base than a two faction deck without strangers, even if you're splashing. I think the key thing I got from you is the fact that it's free. There's so many times where I think when I was beginning drafting this set one and set two combination where I do have to splash, but I do have to splash with three random sigils from like my third faction. And that just mm. really reduces the, the good draws of my deck. But when you're getting it essentially for free or where you only have to put that one extra sigil to make it work, then I think you're relatively happy. The cost comes, I guess, in drafting and that I haven't really factored in. Like if, I, if I'm in draft and I have three picks already and then I see a pack where I would have to go into another faction or there's a banner, I'll take the banner. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not unhappy fourth picking a banner. I'm not unhappy even third picking one. And I pretty much, uh, like I, I take strangers over most other two drops and I, I take strangers very highly as well in general. One thing that I feel like is worth mentioning when talking about strangers is the strangers deck, which I don't feel is coming together as often, even though you have more fixing strangers and you have the plus two plus two stranger that nobody else is interested. You still need a lot of pay of strangers to justify playing too many two twos, if that makes sense. And for me, it just hasn't come together. I, I don't know why that is. Like I even like even had a couple of drafts where I had a bunch of good strangers and still didn't really work out. Mm. So I've been able to warp a stranger off the top of my deck when the opponent played the warp stranger. I was... Oh yeah, that's so sweet. Oh, that's <laughs> that's another thing. Uh, and that's uh, I feel sorry. That's that's one of the problems when you're at the stranger deck. Like people play strangers all the time, so they will get the benefit without doing yeah. any of the work. So you're getting less payoff yeah. than you would think. <laughs> a couple more basic splashing tip I quickly want to go over is make sure the card that you're splashing has a high impact when you draw it relatively late into the game. And this is because mm -hmm. if you're playing so few sigils of that source that you, you probably are going to be unlikely to be able to cast that card till late. From our Skycrack example, splashing Mortar is quite good because Mortar, you draw it late, it's still a good reach spell. It can still take care of problematic flyer. It's great. But if you're trying to splash a clan hero, well, casting it on turn 7 versus casting it on turn 3... Big difference. Is, you know, yeah, five, a lot of difference. Yeah, 5-3 is not going to do anything at that point. Also, when you're splashing, make sure that try to limit the amount of influence that it takes, right? Splashing mm. Mortar takes only one extra fire, whereas if you're splashing a Groundbreaker, well, good luck with that, because that thing is I mean, like... Yeah, that thing is not yeah, don't, don't splash double influence cards. That's, that's not happening. I mean, I wouldn't say don't, but just kind of Wait, the cost and benefit analysis, right? For example, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I double splash for a crystallize. Sure, crystallize because that just wins. Game. Yeah, that just wins, right? I, I think a, a very close example would be something like Pouncing Drake, right? Like mm. it's a very powerful. It's a four-four flyer, and it has warp. 
But the thing is, like, okay, if you're splashing it, you're probably not warping it in, or at least much yeah, harder to do so. So that's a lot of power taken away from the card. And it's, I want to say, only a 4-4 flyer, which by the time that this comes out, especially on, off a of splash, you know, your opponent likely has an answer or has a, a flyer of relatively the same size. So just kind of keep those points in mind when you're splashing, because we all want to play all the factions and all the all the stuff, but make it reasonable. One archetype that I'm pretty fond of is the four to five faction time. Okay. Because time gets additional fixing in the American Explorer and Vaporlight. So it's actually very feasible to pick up enough uh, sources to splash two, three faction, two or three factions mm-hmm. in a normally two color base deck or faction deck. You can really like take advantage of the fact that time allows you to draw out the game and then you like you just take that slay, you take that mortar and you just uh, I mean you're five color then but it doesn't matter. Like you can you can just draw out the game with your time cards and then eventually have very strong removal for their problematic units and also it allows you to like take any good rare you open, which is a pretty huge advantage. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean not any you're not you're not going to like splash in Ikaria, but you have a lot of like good opens when you when you're in that archetype and I sure, enjoy sure, the sure. lot. Yeah, the the amount of times where I seen like a good rare in pack two or pack three, I'm like, well, I'm not in those factions, so mm. sucks to be me. But yeah, yeah, I definitely hear you. All right, that's gonna do it here for our drafting episode for Omens of the Past. I hope you guys found it helpful and interesting to listen to. And of course, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, this is only Rico and myself's opinion. Rico, you finished 27 last season? Yeah, I think so. We had a couple of very hot runs in the end there. Okay. We got lucky um, with uh, with like three very strong Skycrack decks in a row. And when, when Rico says we, it's really just Carla, his girlfriend, like just Basically, a- yes. acing she's, the draft. She's carrying my ass. Yeah. Both in both in constructed and in draft, like, and also in real life, uh, maybe. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, and and myself, I finished about like a hundred and seventy ish, so definitely not as good. But I don't have somebody carrying me, so I, you know, it's it's mm. all good. <laughs> we definitely play draft a lot and have a lot of experience, but we also urge you to check out some other, you know, high accomplished master players. And see what their opinions are, because definitely the more you know about the format, the more knowledge you have and more weapons you have when you do open up that first pack and be like, okay, what did I pick out of here? That's it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And until next time, for Rico, I am Luminous, and we are signing off. Bye, guys. Bye.